0: All right. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you guys. We have been doing a conversation these last few weeks, uh, which it's totally fine if you haven't been a part of, uh, around friendships and what we're talking about with Next Level Friendships. There's a video game theme there, just in case you missed it. Uh, <laughs> most of our tech team loves the video game theme, and it's, it's definitely, we were going to play it. So you're welcome. Uh, video games happen. Um, so as we've been talking about friendship, I wanted to begin just uh, acknowledging that friendships can be hard. In fact, uh, one of the things that's challenging about finding a new church, getting connected even on a Sunday like this, is connecting to other people. How do you bridge that weird, awkward first gap where you get to know someone, or even worse, if you do start to get to know someone, and discover that maybe they aren't as good of a friend as you wish they would be. Um, In fact, I had the privilege, as I'm sure some of you did as well, growing up in a church, so I was around a church a lot growing up, and I happened to be part of a youth group Anyone here grow up in the youth group scene? Yeah, some, some sort of sad acknowledgments. I saw some very sad hands. sort of People were pushing hands down, like, don't, tell, don't confess that here. Uh, so I grew up in a youth group, and there was this thing that went around uh, where friendships would often culminate in this moment where, because we were part of the youth group, people said, we should really be honest with each other. We should like, tell it how, how it how it is. And so if we use this phrase, in love, then we can say whatever we want to the person that we're talking to. And so we were kind of talking about this as a team at Community and our uh, creative team, it's part of our network of churches, thought they'd put together a little video representing for you where friendships can go when they go wrong. So go ahead and take a look at this video.
1: Looking at the camera or at you?
0: You can just stay right here with me. Here, (laughs) okay. Yeah, I won't be in the shot
1: at all. Oh, that's good. You have an oddly shaped face.
0: I'm
1: sorry. Oh, your face. It's not good for camera. Also, you have dead eyes. Oh, I say this in love, of course. I've always been a real truth teller. That hasn't been my issue. I really don't like your necklace. Huh? I just don't like your necklace. In love. But over the last year or so, I've noticed people don't always receive the truth well. That's a terrible parking job. In love. My friends, my neighbors, even my dog started to be kind of repelled by me. I mean, not in a bad way, but still pretty bad.
0: So we've been dating almost a year now. We met at church. We get along great and we have so much in common, but uh, yeah, she really tells it like it is, but she's kind and smart and she loves reading her Bible. She's been reading it lately, almost uh, aggressively.
1: I was reading in Corinthians. I, I can't remember which one, there's like two or three. But this guy named Paul says you should always speak the truth in love. And I had an epitome. I've been speaking the truth, like a lot, but never in love. These peppers are disgusting. In love. I mean, it was a game changer. Now my whole life is completely different just by adding those two little words. In love. This popcorn's stale and you're terrible at your job. In love.
0: You know, I think we might actually get married someday. I think we're-
1: In love! (laughs) I'm breaking up with him. I mean, I I love him, I'm just not in love with him. In love.
0: Um, So, yeah, that that can happen sometimes, right? Uh, True story from my life. Uh, I was in college, and I was in college with a very close friend at the time who happened to be a Christian, and this friend, I'm not making it up, sat down with me to tell me in love that he thought I was spending far too much time with my girlfriend at the time. Um, Unfortunately for this friend... That girlfriend has become the woman you've already met this morning, Jenna, my (laughs) wife, uh, who I happen to disagree with him in love uh, that I was spending a little too much time with. And unfortunately, this friend and I aren't really close anymore. So uh, this can happen, right? This can happen in church settings. This can obviously happen outside of the church. But if I could turn with you, I I did want to enter a little more deeply here into this question. If If this happens, if you probably have had this experience, if especially you've been around a church scene, you've experienced this with people in the church, I wanted to ask you this question this morning. Why why are any of us still doing this, (laughs) right? Why are any of us still putting up with this? What is it that drew you here even this morning? Uh, Why have you joined us for a grand opening of a church in the city in the year 2023? And in order to answer that question, I wanted to take you perhaps to a surprising book you might not have been expecting us to explore. I wanted to take you to the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Are we ready this morning to dive into Ecclesiastes? Uh, I'm actually just going to look at one verse in Ecclesiastes in order to try to answer this question. What is it that drew you here? Why is it that we're still putting up with the church? Why is it that we're still trying to find friendships in the church? Why is it that we are celebrating when a church opens up? Um, So to prep you for this book of Ecclesiastes, I have to do a little bit of a deep dive. And those who are part of this community know I'm just trying to be upfront and honest with you I, I love a good, nerdy deep dive. So this is, this is something that happens here. Uh, I wanted to get it up up front. If you don't come back next week, I will understand the deep dive <laughs> lost you. But to give you a deep dive, I wanted to talk to you about Ecclesiastes and the concept of time. Okay? So we're going to talk about time for just a second. And what I wanted to do was prep you with why time matters so much in this verse that we're about to read in Ecclesiastes 3.11. In order to talk to you about time, I want to give you three ways that the Jewish people in the Old Testament viewed time. This is a fun little lesson for you. You can stir up some of your imagination. So this is an Old Testament view of time. And in talking about time in Ecclesiastes, you'll find this writer in Ecclesiastes presents himself as a teacher or a sage. He's wandering around the earth it's a very wise person. And yet, if you read Ecclesiastes, it gets a little sad. It's a little depressed. And the reason why is that this, this person is wandering around and they're noticing that time is not necessarily for them. Time is not helping them. So three basic beliefs in Jewish thought that are there all throughout Ecclesiastes, if you happen to read it. The first thought is that time is created. This is a good basic building block. If you've ever gone back to the book of Genesis, you'll notice that in Genesis, we're told very quickly, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So you find God creates time, which is kind of a fun, deep thought. If nothing else, you can share that with your neighbor when they ask, what did you learn this morning? God created time, right? And the reason why God created time was, according to Jewish belief, so that we could have structure, so that there'd be order. It would be unhelpful if it was just always day or always night. It's nice to move from day. Day's great. Lots of great, wonderful things happen in the day. But it's also good to now have night too, right? Can I get an amen from anyone who got to sleep in this morning? It's good. It's good to have this movement between the two. So the second belief that Jewish people had is that time is cyclical. Time is cyclical. So what that means is that every Experience of time has this element of seasons. I'm going to throw a fun little image up that should connect with everyone. In Old Testament thinking, especially, they would have been really connected to the ground, to the earth, to the agrarian way of life. And so time was very much understood as seasons, and we still somewhat understand seasons today. There's spring, right, in that top right hand corner where there's new things, new growth, new hope happening. Spring is a great time for babies to be born. It's a great time for weddings to happen. It's a great time for baseball spring training when you don't know if the Cubs are going to crash and burn as the season is progressing, right? We just don't know. We're a little nervous. Uh, Spring is great. Summer, then, is when things are growing, when things are blossoming. So summer is this wonderful, rich time of joy and beaches and bike rides. And then you hit the fall, and the fall is a time of harvest, which is also great. Fall can be a time of gathering and collecting all the things that you've done. Ecclesiastes talks about this. Look at all the good work you've benefited from. This is a time for harvest. But then, inevitably, cyclically, there is winter, right? When things begin to fade and pass away and often die. This leads to the third belief of time, I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. I warned you it'd be a nerdy deep dive. Here's the last part. If time is created, time is cyclical, time is also constrained. Uh, This is the first piece of bad news I have for you this morning. All of us, at some point, are going to run out of time. It's kind of a heavy, sad thought, I know, but according to Jewish beliefs, when you ran out of time, I've got a picture for you. It's a fun little picture. The way that, uh, if you actually read the Old Testament carefully, there wasn't an understanding of resurrection. There wasn't really a belief even in heaven, per se, as we tend to think about it today. Instead, they talk a lot in the Psalms about Sheol, which was this place that the Jewish people kind of pictured was under the ground. It's the deep. You almost have, dare I say, like a Lion King type thing happening, you know, like where you return to the dust, right, and it's circle of life. And the problem here is that time time is bound. We're kind of stuck in time, and we all know, even though we don't like to think about it very much, that at some point, our time will run out. So this is, understandably, one of the reasons why the author of Ecclesiastes is a little bit depressed, right? (laughs) If you go back and read Ecclesiastes, it's like, man, okay, so time is created, that's good. There's an order, so it kind of goes through seasons, okay, that's good, but as fun as spring and summer and even fall can be, winter's terrible, right? (laughs) Like, time is constrained, at some point we all die, so what do we do about the constraining effect of time? Well, this is what the author of Ecclesiastes is going to say in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it comes, if you're reading the book, as an utter shock. It almost comes out of left field, and if you're reading through the Old Testament, there's a couple couple, uh, signs that this is coming, that there's something here, but it's never said this clearly anywhere else in the Old Testament, so I wanted to show you, this is one of my favorite verses this morning for our grand opening. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, He, God... Has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay. He has set eternity in the human heart. Did you catch how how profound and hopeful this is for the author of Ecclesiastes? They're going through the world, they're looking at time, they're looking at seasons, they're looking at how things move and fade and things grow, but then they die. And all of a sudden out of the blue, they have this this insight or this thought that eternity, this sense of unending time, a sense of a future in which there is no constraint, there's no limits, even the the seasons, the cycles are gonna be changed in this new eternity. That God has actually put eternity in every human heart. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I've been pondering this verse for a long time, been wondering what it means, what could it mean, that God has put eternity in your heart. That God has put eternity in my heart. And I think, uh, as you look at this verse, you notice, as much as it starts hopeful, this is still Ecclesiastes, so it ends kind of sad still. <laughs> Ecclesiastes starts with, like, God has put eternity in the human heart, but no one really can fathom or know what God is doing from beginning to end. So what we see here in this verse is what I want to call three aches, okay? Three aches. I'll take you through, uh, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. The first ache I think we find, the first ache of eternity, is the ache of longing. Have you ever noticed a longing in your heart for more than what you have found living out in front of you in your life? Have you ever noticed a stirring, a a resonance, a moving? I sometimes experience it as like goosebumps or like sometimes, I'll be honest, I love movies. You give me a good movie and we get to the end of it and I have a like, whoa, (laughs) that was amazing. Something just happened to me. Uh, This can happen in a song. This can happen in a piece of art. This can happen when you're at a wedding or it it could happen while you're standing out in nature. This is, I think... I think, what the author of Ecclesiastes is getting at. God has put eternity, there's this, there's this resonance, there's this longing, there's this sense that there's something more than what we're currently living with. My wife, who you've met, um, she unfortunately loves TikTok. So she's on TikTok, uh, she loves it. I have, I have no cool, I have no trends, she has all the trends and I give you trends that she gives me. Um, on TikTok, there's been this trend, which I'm sure most of you I know also are not on TikTok. So, this is, I'm explaining. I'm translating for you uh, from my marriage. Um, on TikTok, there's this trend that there's been a number of people talking in the mental health community about the word triggers, right? We've probably all heard of triggers, that something happens in the present that reminds you of something painful from the past, and it can be a trigger. It can be very uncomfortable. It's like, whoa, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm, I'm taken back to something very painful. Uh, triggers are not fun. Uh, but as the mental health community has been talking, they've said, you know, we talk so much about triggers. feels like all that anyone knows how to identify as a trigger. What if we could talk about glimmers? So this is a TikTok thought. Um, there's a place for TikTok here at church. <laughs> I, welcome, I welcome any of your TikTok trends uh, that I can use here on Sunday. But here's what my wife and I loved. As uh, she shared this with me, she and I were saying, you know, wow, that's beautiful, right? A glimmer. Some, some moment when you sense something more, when there's beauty, when there's wonder, when when there's joy, when life seems to come together. Uh, We looked at each other a couple weeks ago, when we went on vacation to go visit her family. Her family happens to live over in Northern Ireland, which is really beautiful. We have a four-year-old daughter, a two-year-old son. We're on vacation, and we said, what if we just try to notice the glimmers? What if we just try to notice them? And sure enough, like every day, there were just these moments where my daughter's like running barefoot in vivid green grass, and we're like, wow. That's a glimmer. Uh, My son, for some reason, thought it was so funny when we drive over bumps in the road. (laughs) And I was super stressed because we were in a rental car and I was already on the wrong side of the road over there. And he's like belly laughing. And Jenna looks at me and she's like, it's a glimmer. Uh, We had the chance to go back to a spot that we went on one of our first dates to Happened that her family, because you love when your family are there to watch the kids, you got free uh, dates, it's great. She and I went on this walk along the coast, and we knew, we just looked at each other, we're like, this is a glimmer. Glimmers are there for all of us, I think, because God has placed eternity in the human heart. But as the problem is, as, as great as glimmers sound, and I'm sure all of you right now are like, yeah, like I've had glimmers, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the problem is that all happened on vacation, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's easy to see a glimmer on vacation. And I, I call it an ache, the ache of longing, because the problem with every glimmer is it doesn't last very long. And the other problem with glimmers is we often fail to see them, right? We're too busy, we're too distracted, we're too stressed. And so I think as much as eternity on our hearts is a gift, it often provokes a profound ache, as soon as the song is done that's moved your heart, it's not, as, it's not there anymore. The sound waves are gone. As soon as you walk out of the movie theater, you're back into real life. Uh, you can even try to go back to recapture a glimmer, and then sometimes they're not there. Right? Have you ever tried to listen to a song you love too many times? And before you know it, the song doesn't move you the same way that it used to. This is the ache of longing. If the first ache is longing, the second is the ache of separation. Um, I think the author of Ecclesiastes runs against the ache of separation almost as soon as they establish the ache of longing in this verse. If you look at the verse again with me, I already drew your attention to this. Second half of the verse says, as much as eternity's there, none of us can actually see or fathom God and what God has been up to and is doing in our lives or in the world. I think this ache of separation is what often, in my experience, having followed God for many years now, feels a bit like a fog. Have you ever had the fog of separation from God where uh, I find normally this happens in suffering, so something gets really hard, maybe it's a job that's going wrong, maybe it's a friendship that's falling apart, and suddenly it's like God isn't there like God used to be. Like God is hidden, like I can't quite see God anymore? Like, where could God be in this? Um, I've noticed, because I've already brought it up, I feel like we could talk about it just a little bit. Whenever a death happens, right, if you've been to those funerals, there's so few deaths where you actually get to go to the funeral and have that sense of peace. That's like, wow, they lived a full and beautiful life, and we were able to release them at the end of their time. Most of the time, death is like this Fog that settles down and it becomes part of our ache of separation. We're like, why did they have to go? God, where were you when this happened? How could the cancer or the sickness or the injury, how could it occur under your watch? Where is God? How come we can't fathom you? I think the final fog is really is actually probably most profoundly to people I've talked to, the fog of injustice. I was thinking about this uh, there are very few atheists I talk to uh, who tell me, yeah, I really don't believe in God because time, you know? It's just, it's too created and con- like cyclical and constrained. Yeah, that's, that's really bothering me. I'm sitting up at night thinking about time. No, no. The reason why people walk away from God, walk away from the church, walk away even from Jesus himself is because they look around and they just, they, they see all this injustice They're surrounded by all this pain, and and maybe this injustice has happened to them. Maybe this injustice has taken place even in the church itself. It has been one of those statements delivered in love. It's like an arrow that just gets lodged in your heart. And suddenly it's really hard to see or to find God. It's like God is hidden in a fog. It's one final ache. The first ache is longing. second ache is separation. Here's the challenging final ache that Ecclesiastes gets into elsewhere. It's the ache of complicity. The ache of complicity. Uh, The tragedy for most of us is that as we're living through our lives, I, I think our culture in our current moment is quite good at this, we're pretty aware now of the ways that we have been wronged, and we're even getting better talking about these systems of oppression that are working against us, which are also very real. Uh, so I've had a chance to counsel a number of people. I've um, had a chance to counsel a number of teenagers today. And I feel like as, I, as I'm working with like, 18-year-olds, they are very, they're very aware of the systems of things that are going wrong. And that's normally the first thing that we start talking about. And it's really helpful to start processing through, like, yeah, I mean, racism, there's gender, uh, there's sexual inequality, there's corruption, there's poverty, there's class. There's capitalism. Man, all these things are working against us. And there's so many systems. And then normally once you work through the systems, you finally get to a place in counseling where you're talking about families, right? And as you're talking about families, you then are like, man, and, and like family was hard. There was brokenness. And actually your, your dad wasn't great, wasn't there for you. Your mom wasn't great, wasn't there for you. That was really hard. But at some point as you're sort of working through the funnel and you get to this really painful moment in counseling, And I know this because I, too, have received counseling from a very skilled therapist who has walked me first (laughs) here myself. It's the moment where the therapist says, you know, do you think you've done anything wrong? Like, have you been ever a part of the problem uh, as much as it has hurt you? In fact, if I could give you a phrase, I think counseling has often revealed to me revealed with those I'm working with, that at some point, as you're wrestling with the sin done to you, you find yourself confronted with the sin done through you, right? At some point, and this is unfortunately statistically true, uh, that when horrific things happen, like sexual abuse of a child, statistically, the people most likely to sexually abuse someone were sexually abused themselves as a child, it's horrible, actually. It's, it's one of the most distressing things you can ponder because it's the sense that something so terrible has happened to you and yet instead of being able to redeem it, recover it, turn it, like find a new path, it now starts to flow through you. And yet it's not just the really egregious harms. This can happen in you know, a distressing family you've grown up in where the instability, the pain builds up in you and now suddenly you find yourself frustrated, lashing out, pushing people away, in fact, just recently, uh, trying to get real with this, I uh, was meeting with a therapist again this last year, and one of the things we were going after that was a sort of new topic, and I was really excited I was going to work through this with a therapist, was uh, emotional volatility. Isn't that a fancy way to say feelings get big (laughs) in my family? And so we started with this wonderful like, oh, was was there emotional volatility in your mom? Yeah, my mom was emotionally volatile. Oh, was there emotional volatility in your siblings? Yeah, sometimes they were really volatile. And then at one point, the therapist (laughs) looked at me, it was like, didn't you say at the start of our sessions you were struggling with anger a little bit? I was like, yeah. He's like, would you say that's maybe a little bit of emotional volatility that's now flowing through you? Here's the Here's the rub. (laughs) None of us, as deep and profound as this eternity is right there in our hearts, none of us can escape this world without doing any harm. None of us can escape the ache of our own complicity. Whatever the wrongs were that were done to you, at some point we have to reckon with the wrongs done through us. So if if that's where we are, if there's these three aches, if there's like eternity that's longing to us, and yet if there's an ache of separation, God is hidden from us, and then there's this ache of complicity, the Bible's so clear, we have been part of the problem, we ourselves have contributed to the mess that is all around us, where do we turn? Here's the good news this morning. Uh, Ecclesiastes is not actually the last word on eternity. Instead, I was surprised as I was just pondering, preparing for this, trying to think about, where to take the end of this teaching, I'm surprised that Jesus steers straight into eternity. Like, Jesus doesn't actually sort of shy away. He doesn't leave it to someone else. Like, well, one day, we'll see. We'll try to figure this out. Instead, Jesus just goes after it. So I wanted to give you three examples where this happens. First comes in Matthew 16. Love this story. A man comes up to Jesus. You've probably heard this one. And he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternity? Isn't that kind of an interesting question in light of that Ecclesiastes passage? Like, what do I gotta do to get me some eternity, a place where the glimmers never fade? And Jesus is going to say to him, verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Kind of makes sense, right? It's like, hey, you wanna step into eternity? You gotta release the time you're living in right now, you got to release it, and then you got to come follow me, and I'll take you there. I'll take you to eternity. Now, if you know this story, uh, the very next verse, we're told this: When the young man heard this, he went away sad, <laughs> because he had great wealth. Struggle's real. Like that's that's tough, man. Uh, here's another fun story. This happens over in the Gospel of John, John three. There's a teacher named Nicodemus. He creeps up to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is one of the leading scholars, one of the leading religious figures in the center of Jerusalem. And he has a question for Jesus. He says, Jesus, we've noticed you're a teacher and maybe a prophet. He frames it that way. Like we're, we're thinking something's happening. Could you give us some of your wisdom? Could you give us some direction on what we, what we should be doing? Jesus is gonna say this to, this to him. Uh, you think I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a prophet. Here's what you need to do you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I, what? Like, I'm an old man. This doesn't quite make sense. How could I be born again? And then this is what Jesus says in response to this question. And you can see Nicodemus hasn't quite asked about eternity, but Jesus steers him there. He says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him won't die, but will have eternity eternity, right? This famous, beloved verse for obvious reasons. It's beautiful, but track with it in the story. Nicodemus is trying to figure out what's going on, where we're supposed to go, and Jesus says, you want eternity? I'm it. Come through me. Come, believe in me. See what I have to give. Here's the final passage. This actually happens just two chapters later. In the Gospel of John, the story's kind of still going. You feel like Jesus needs to talk a little bit more about eternity. There is a man who is paralyzed that Jesus heals The religious leaders are upset. This happens a lot in the Gospels. Uh, They say, Jesus, you shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath. And this is one of those fun moments where if you're tracking with time, you're welcome. That we talked about time, right? (laughs) Then you can see that what the religious leaders are saying is, Jesus, you're messing up the system. You're, You're messing up the cycle. Like time is meant to happen so that Sabbath is about rest. You're supposed to be resting, not healing people. What are you doing, Jesus? Why is that man now healed when you should have been following the order of time that God gave us. And Jesus is going to say this profound verse. This is chapter 5 verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternity and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus is continuing this conversation on time And he's saying to the religious leaders, listen, if you want to be stuck in the constraints, the boundaries that you found yourself in, if you want to be left with the aches, then yes, you're right. This is the system. This is the order. This is the structure. But I am here because I am and have eternity. And I want to take you with me if you believe. Now, to unpack what it means that Jesus offers us eternity will take far longer than a grand opening, especially when Fat Shallot is waiting out front with sandwiches after this service. Uh, I do want to invite you, and I'll mention this one more time at the end of service, if you'd like to continue this conversation, uh, this is what we're going to talk about on Tuesday nights right here at Victory Gardens with the gospel and the city. It's going to be a really great conversation. But for now, for now, I just want to close by reflecting for a moment. If Jesus is saying this bold, audacious thing, he's offering us eternity. Is it possible that when it comes to our ache of longing, Jesus is saying, "Hey, if you come to me, I can actually offer you the fulfillment of those deepest longings." I'm thinking all week about how Jesus comes offering us a kingdom, literally a political system, a structure of righteousness, of holiness, of justice. Jesus comes offering us a family. And a home, right? He says, if you've been broken, if you're lost, if you're separated from your father and mother or sister and brother, you want a new family, you come to me, I will adopt you, I will make you my brother, I will introduce you to my father. Jesus then even offers us, and we don't have time to talk about this this morning, he even offers us a new city. This is the beautiful story of the Bible. It starts in a garden and it ends with a city that Jesus says, I've been preparing this city for you to come and live in. Jesus fulfills the ache of our longings. Jesus meets us in the ache of our separation. You know that, that fog that descends on suffering, fog that descends on death, even the fog that descends on injustice itself? Jesus hangs there on the cross, and it, it's, it's moving. Th- that Jesus says, if you actually follow him, he says, I am the face of God to you. If you're confused where God is, If you want to know where God is to be found, if you don't know what God has been doing, look at the cross, and in the midst of your suffering, see my suffering. In the midst of your death, see my death. In the midst of your injustice, know that I too had to pray this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Finally, to the ache of our complicity, Jesus says, I am the only way that your sins, that your mistakes, that your harms can actually not only be taken upon me, but can be released in you. I'm the only way. Where else can you find forgiveness for the sins that have flown through you? Now, as I was trying to hold all of this together, I've obviously tried to take you in one of my favorite verses, tried to open up this huge question, take you into the heart of it, to be honest uh, it's almost impossible to land something this big and sweeping. Or is it? <laughs> um, I have a video I want to show you to end with. Um, recently, there's a song. You may have caught some of the refrains of it if you've been listening very closely. And again, this is a youth group reveal moment if you happen to grow up in the youth group. There was a song in the year 2003 uh, by a band called Switchfoot that was called Meant to Live. And it was this beautiful song that randomly like took off, became very popular. And meant to live touched on this verse from Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has put eternity in our hearts. It basically just opens up this longing. We were meant to live for so much more. Um, and as the song took off, I was about 13 when I first heard it. It just, it moved me. It was one of those glimmer moments of like, wow, something, like something is longing in me for so much more. And recently, the reason I bring all this up is the band's been 20 years, 20 years. Wow, it's a long time uh, since I was 13. <laughs> And uh, for their 20th anniversary, they contacted this artist named John Bellion, who, if you know the pop music scene, John Bellion's really, he's big right now. He's done a lot of his own stuff musically, but he's worked with the Jonas Brothers and Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, and he's this amazing producer, singer-songwriter. And apparently, John Bellion, too, at about the same age as me, had had this moment with the song where it was really moving to him. And so Switchfoot said, would you mind giving us your rendition of Meant to Live? Could you cover it? And as he covered it, it was so beautiful, they thought, you know, there's this story here. What if we could try to visually, in a music video, capture the ache of eternity in three and a half minutes? And for that reason, I wanted to share this with you.